Welcome to the Startup Help Desk, your source to answers to questions about building businesses, starting companies, and the meaning of life. We have a panel here of experienced founders, investors, and entrepreneurs who are here to share all of our lessons so you don't make all the same mistakes that we make. And in fact, all our questions today are about co-founders and how to find and select the right co-founders for your business. And we've all been there. So this is something we will go into great depths. My name is Sean Burns. I've been a founder of companies for about 20 years. And so I've made mistakes across the board. And I'm joined as always by our panel, Ash and Nick. Hi, everyone. My name is Ash Russ, and I'm a pre-seed investor based in San Francisco. I mostly invest in B2B companies based in the UK, US, and Canada through a fund I started called Sterling Road. I've also worked at places like Trinity Ventures and Bullpen Capital as an advisor. Before investing, I was an entrepreneur myself, most notably an early employee at the social media company Clout, as well as the co-founder and CEO of Centup. These days, I spend most of my time coaching founders, and I've helped more than 1,500 startups over the years. Hey, this is Nick Melionis. I am co-founder and CEO of a startup called Navi. We help people learn innovation skills, solve mission-critical problems, and bring new ideas to life. I've supported hundreds of startups and innovators on their innovation quests, and I can't wait to jump in today's questions. And as always, we have our questions submitted by you, the founders in the audience looking to build your businesses. And the questions today are all about co-founders. Many companies do have co-founders. Often the founding team is more than one person. And where do you find them? How do you find them? What's going on? We're here to tackle all those sorts of issues with the usual wisdom, humor, and ridiculousness that we bring on this show. So let's jump into it. Okay, cool. Here's you didn't our first... use the word insight there. Good omission. <laughs> If you want answers, you come here. You want insights. I mean, I got I got nothing for you. So, okay, let's start off. This this first question, I love this question because it just gets straight to the point. Guys, how do I find a co-founder? Ash, what do you think? Well, it's certainly a common problem. And a lot of people start a business by themselves or have an idea. So you're not alone in this. One of the latest things to come out in the last couple of years that's really working well for people is the Y Combinator co-founder matching platform. Anyone can sign up for that. You're going to get a lot of meetings from that. Some of them are going to be of varying degrees of quality, but they also have a recommendation system now. So if you have some friends who are perhaps in the Y Combinator network, they can recommend you from the other side and that might improve the quality of the people that you're meeting or increase the number of people that you're meeting. So that is something that's relatively new and is really working in a surprising way. Uh, Second option is kind of going to the more traditional approach, which is looking through your past networks and mailing lists. The classic examples are your university, grad school, employers, those kinds of things. And then uh, the third option is the random walk. So this is talking to the best people you know in tech telling them that you're looking for a co-founder and asking them who the best people they know in tech are. And eventually, you should find somebody who is A, a great person in tech and B, looking for a co-founder role. Well, so Ashley, let's say you don't know somebody really well and so you're doing some of these things. In your opinion, is it better to find a co-founder that's a stranger that you don't know or just start the company yourself without a co-founder? Like It seems like there's a lot of risk in engaging with strangers at this kind of level. Well, you need to mitigate that risk by doing trials and side projects with people and giving yourselves time to work together before you commit full time and then further giving yourself an investment cliff on the equity of usually 12 months or so 
put a vesting cliff on the equity of usually 12 months or so, which then protects you in the event that it doesn't work out. But in most cases, it's unlikely that you're going to have a close friend as uh, the exact skill set you need uh, as a co-founder. Fair enough. Nick, what do you think, man? Yeah, that's awesome. I was going to, I got a similar question for you two on this. Part of the issue when it comes to a co-founder is that often it can be helpful to have this history where you've already built up some kind of rapport before the moment strikes. And so just a a question in terms of what you two have seen from successful co-founder situations. Have you noticed any trends in terms of a co-founder that succeeds if you already have this established relationship versus you've already started the company, now you're bringing somebody into the fold and it's based off of some compatibility at that moment? Oh, I think in my experience, there's two kinds of co-founding teams. There's co-founding teams that have worked together before under in high pressure, stressful situations. So they know how each other reacts under pressure. They work out very well. And then there's everybody else that doesn't, frankly. I don't care if it's a stranger or your best friend. Like if you have not been in a high pressure situation with someone, you don't know how they will react. And I guarantee I'm not saying that they're gonna turn into like, you know, Mr. Hyde. But they probably will react in ways that you don't expect. It leads to conflict, mm-hmm. leads to issues. Okay, we're going to have to explain that reference for people that weren't born in 1940. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This is a very old book. You don't need to look it up. <laughs> Wait, do you think it was written in 1940? I'm sure it was. I'm talking about people <laughs> who were born in 1940 that would know about it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. Apparently, this is not the literary history podcast. If you want literary history, you got to go somewhere else. This is America. What are you doing quoting literature? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is good. I like that, though. I think the framing around having this some proof point that says you have compatibility around operating and stress is key. What I've seen from my experiences is that ultimately just increasing your surface area for luck is the golden ticket. Part one of that is building your startup and then utilizing that as a way to meet interesting people. Part two of that is going to hackathons, going to conferences, and asking for warm intros within your network. Those are critical ways to identify some qualified folks. And then, of course, I think the thing that both Sean and Ash have mentioned here is actually working on projects together. One thing we did was hosted a hackathon with um, some collaborators, and that ultimately resulted in a co-founder relationship being established. And so find creative ways to build projects. How creative? Like pancake breakfast creative? (laughs) Pancake breakfasts are always the golden ticket. We know that you just can do no wrong on that front. Guaranteed find a co-founder in 15 minutes. Just I think you're right. I I think you're right about that. Um, Serious question for you guys. Yeah, I, this is this wasn't asked in the question, but I'm curious. Do you even need a co-founder? Is that like necessary, or are there certain situations where you do need a co-founder versus not? Very rare nowadays that you would see a big business with no uh, additional co-founders. I'd say you see an awful lot of businesses with a very dominant founder, uh, but ordinarily, if you want to build something really big, you're going to have to have a lot of other people involved and a good chunk of them are going to have to sacrifice a lot. So they're going to need long-term high-quality incentives that are aligned with yours. And that basically means co-founder equity because that's all you can offer early on. 
Agreed. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Hmm. Interesting enough, the first time I don't agree with both of you guys. I have a lot of examples of solo founders that have gotten quite far, mostly because even if you have a co-founder, they typically don't stick around long term. So a lot of it's a short term arbitrage. I don't know. My well, answer to these examples, these mystery examples. <laughs> I wonder sometimes maybe it's that you need a co-founder if you don't have the skill set to start the company on your own. But if you do, I don't know, maybe you can. Mm-hmm. Well, we can find out. I don't want to answer Even my own questions. Even the people questions. I not... have in my portfolio who started off as solo founders and said, oh, this person that is like our CTO or whatever is not a founder, now they call them a co-founder and they're in mm. all the meetings. So I think that maybe people evolve into that for sure in some cases where there's a very dominant and maybe high profile founder who's got a lot of experience uh, versus someone who maybe has less of that. But I, I mean, maybe Away, is that one that where the founder was solo right the way through to a pretty big outcome? I, mean, I don't know if there are many where it's just a pure solo founder when you've got um, a public company. But I don't know. Could be wrong. Fair enough. Well, uh, being wrong is not part of the uh, purview of this, this uh, show. So we'll move on before anybody can look it up and try to prove us right or wrong. Cool. Ash, what else is on our question queue for today? Okay. So second question, when should you add a co-founder? after your business has already generated investors. So after you've already got some investors, when should you add a co-founder? And if you do add a co-founder later, how do you do it? Yeah, this is an interesting one. I think part of this question is trying to understand, does it make sense to bring on a co-founder prior to fundraising versus after? And of course, it's unique per the startup founder. If you've already fundraised, then of course, the when should you add a co-founder is as soon as there's an urgent need, the way to do it would be similar to what we described, coupled with the fact that you now have investors that want to support you, really utilize them to open doors to meet interesting people. And then, of course, that can be the golden ticket to securing someone that can be there for the long haul. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually, I, my personal opinion is even if you have co-founders, typically what happens is you start the company, you kind of get the bandwagon moving, and then you you hire on your co-founders. People love joining bandwagons that are moving they really hate you know getting them started and so you're going to hire them on anyway so it almost doesn't matter so much when you raise money did you raise money yet did you launch it's i think nick said it right when you have an acute need where you need someone that's really deep in the company to help you get to the next stage whether or not you give them the co-founder title i mean i said it before sometimes somebody joins six months into the company they get a co-founder title they join a year into the company they get a co-founder title I, the co-founder is a title and it's a lot less specific. It used to mean that you were there on formation day. So you were p- listed on the docs when the company was formed. It doesn't mean that anymore. And so at the point at which you acutely need someone, you bring them on. There's a difference though between hiring an employee and hiring a co-founder. A co-founder is somebody who you want involved in all sorts of investor relations and board meetings, and they're going to own a lot of the company. So better make sure it's somebody who's a contributor in lots and lots of different ways. You don't want to bring somebody on board who is doing one specific niche part of the business and call them a co-founder, I guess, unless they're really good at that. And that's like what they specialize in. So, um, mm-hmm. but as Nick said, make sure whoever you bring in the company, I don't care if you're hiring people or co-founders, make sure these are people that you understand how they're operating under pressure. Cause there is going to be a lot of pressure. Also, I think the other piece of this question too, is when you're, incentivizing someone to be in this co-founder title, what kind of equity do you give them? The thing I see time and time again, as the company has matured, and let's say you've got to a point where you fundraised, 
I've seen the individual founder really try to hold tightly to the equity and not be so doting when it comes to the equity they offer to this prospective co-founder. I would caution against that massively. The big win here, it's binary. Either your shares are worth something or they're worth nothing. And so I would Mm -hmm. always optimize for the win versus optimizing for you having just absolutely maximize your amount of shares. What's your two take on that? Dude, I once acquired a company where there was two co-founders, but one of the co-founder, one of the founders owned, I don't remember what it was, 85% of the company. And the investors owned another, I don't know, it was 12% of the company. And his co-founder and employees were all stuck owning the remaining, you know, single digit percentage between mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And when we acquired the there's so little you can do to help fix that problem. These these employees and the co-founder were so vastly undercompensated. Um, it's not exactly what you're talking about, Nick, in that if once you have investors, there's only 100% of the cap table. There's only so much you can give somebody. But generally speaking, you want to be more generous in that. Hoarding all the equity for yourself. I mean, it could submarine deals like that. Like that acquisition almost wouldn't go through because yeah, it's, it's tricky. We can't, we can't do anything for these employees. And are they going to be motivated? I mean, who knows? Right. The other thing is that when you have that kind of split on equity and there's tens of millions of dollars at stake, people start behaving very strangely, especially if they mm. own it all. So it's it's hard in those tight situations to get a good outcome because, you know, in that high pressure situation, you need a support network who's aligned with you, but you're by yourself. Speaking of which, I just got our multi-million dollar payout from our sponsor. Uh, I'm taking a long vacation. I'll be back in a few years. I'll, uh, nice. I'll catch you guys later. <laughs> if the IRS is listening, I have not seen a dollar of this. Agreed. Not yes, one same. dollar. <laughs> yeah. It was all in Dogecoin, though, so it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> just like real money. Oh, Christy bucks. <laughs> Now, there's a reference that uh, hopefully nobody needs, but, you know. know. <laughs> Still 25 years old, though. <laughs> Nick, save us. Save us from our pop culture references. What other All questions right, do we do have, this. Nick? Yeah, this is a third question that we got from a founder. This founder asked, I read a lot of stories about co-founder fighting. Is it possible to avoid co-founder conflict? And if so, how? Sean, you want to kick things UFC. off? UFC. Oh, I, well, so I, I actually, I, I know I do not think it's possible to avoid co-founder conflict. If you're really going to build a meaningful business, there's going to be so many ups and downs. You're going to have conflict at some point about something somewhere. The questions of being, do you have productive and constructive ways to deal with it or not? And you've heard me say on this podcast many times before, I believe expectation setting is the root of all conflict. And often co-founder conflict comes from mismatched expectations. Maybe one of the co-founders thinks you'll find product market fit in a few months. Maybe one of the co-founders only has a personal runway for three months versus the other one has two years. Maybe one of them, you know, thinks that you're going to be a, a B2B, you know, AI app and you pivot over to something that they don't find exciting. Whatever it is, when people have expectations that don't match yours, that's where these conflicts start to come up. And so the best thing you can do, if you want to reduce conflict, other than what I said before, which is find somebody who you've been in a stressful situation with, is have a really explicit conversation about expectation setting in a way that's awkward for most people because we don't often sit down and talk about our expectations. But you got to sit down everything. How, how long do you have? How long is your personal runway? How long do you think things will take? How much are you willing mm-hmm. to put up with in terms of the ups and downs? 
and just have that conversation and be really and constantly reclarify and reestablish expectations. It's not magic bullet. You're still going to have conflict. You might disagree, for example, on hiring somebody or not hiring somebody. But at least if you set expectations appropriately, you know where the other person's coming from. You can honestly, you can be honest and transparent in a way that isn't super common in most business relationships, but absolutely has to be. In fact, not even a lot of you know marriages and, and relationships do you get to that level of clarity on expectation setting. But you know, you, you really have to because once this is once this happens, once somebody on your cap table, they're in your cap table forever. I don't know, Ash. You've coached a lot of companies. Well, I bet I'm you've just seen grateful one or two that fights. all wives aren't listening. <laughs> <laughs> that's the advantage of having you know uh, nobody listen to our podcast is we know right. we can talk about people they won't hear it yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's not possible to build a billion dollar company without a bunch of executive friction I'm sorry it doesn't matter how much you want to avoid conflict uh, those two things are not compatible growth and obstacles just create friction uh, somewhat along the same lines as what Sean has said I think you can set up a good framework for debate you can set up a process. You can empower decision makers to be the final uh, point of contact and move forward with a bias towards action. But you're not going to avoid heated arguments. And just the reality is that it's very rare for a co-founding team to stay together over the decade that it's going to take. So just accept that. I think that you dampen down as much of the conflict as you can, but just remember uh, that it's reality and it may well result in a departure eventually. Yeah. I mean, my first company, there were three of us co-founders. It was a nine-year journey. I was the only one that made it all nine years. My second company was a seven and a half year journey. There was two co-founders and both of us made it the whole way, but that I didn't, that's unexpected, right? Normally you're going to lose at least one co-founder on your journey. To, to, to which point actually, Ash, since you've seen a lot of companies, are there any, is there other than setting a cliff on equity, are there any other best practices on preparing for that? If you know for a fact that not, not everybody's going to make the whole journey, is there anything you should be doing to prepare for that? Yes, I'm a big advocate for extending vesting schedules for everybody, right? If you're the primary or dominant co-founder, it's okay for you to have a six or eight year vesting schedule for that massive amount of equity. And you should do the same mm. for your co-founders. Now, the reality is that I'm not suggesting anything innovative here, unsurprisingly. I'm a VC. Uh, VCs have been asking for this for years. If you get to your Series A and Series B, very often, if you have got most of your vesting done or a good chunk of it, they're going to ask you to reset that and end up vesting the whole amount over six or eight years anyway. So you might as well just get started with it that way because it really reduces the risk even over longer term. Like if you are thinking about giving a co-founder 30 to 50% of your company, but they will have less than half of that after two years, well, that's a lot less risk for you, right? Versus if they were to get all of it over four years. Yeah, I don't I don't have any specific opinions on this because I feel like it's so dependent on the people involved. Because the, the flip side of what Ash is saying is it's also the case that if you're going to spend four years of your life toiling potentially for free, you could argue that you deserve your equity in exchange for that. But then the problem with equity is it's always a, a forward-looking compensation, right? It's trying to reward you for the work you'll do in the future. It is weird for somebody to have a lot of equity and walk away since it's no longer an incentive for future work because they're they walked away. They're not going to do any work in the future. So it's a difficult question. I don't, I don't have any good answers. Um, I will say this. It's very rarely clean when a co-founder leaves. Even if everybody is professional, even if everybody's happy and there's no adversarial or malicious intent, 
it's just it's rarely clean. They're just well, if you start a company, your your roots are everywhere in that business, and it's just it's hard to part ways with somebody like that cleanly without any sort of repercussions in any way. But I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe that's just my experience, uh, or maybe you know people just don't like me. It's also possible, although obviously it's not true because I'm such a celebrity. Hey, we we keep showing up day in and day out. There's no doubt about that. And that's because Ash really and Nick are locked in locked in the studio. <laughs> 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 oh man! I, quick question, a final question for both you, Nick, Nick and Ash. You both started companies. How did you find your co-founders for your companies? My co-founders were a roommate from grad school, uh, one of his roommates from undergrad, and then the uh, a friend of a friend, basically, who was living in the same kind of house as me, basically. <laughs> so it was pretty tight-knit, <laughs> if I'm honest. I um, Yeah, the tactics I'm suggesting are not ones I used. That should probably have a <laughs> small star and footnote on it. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Well, across my companies, my co-founders have come from the following. One has been my sister. And so obviously an existing uh, level of collaboration leading into that company for years. Second has been through hackathons. I've used that as a way to build friendships and be able to build projects with people and then utilize that to have this co-founding relationship. Third, as I mentioned, was hosting a hackathon. That was an awesome way to work with somebody side by side. And the fourth has been through someone that started off as, I would say, a prospective um, advisor and someone that was just interested in a space. We started collaborating and working on ideas together, and that led to a co-founding relationship. Cool. Excellent. Well, for my companies, my first company was friends from college. My second company was somebody I'd known for a long time. We've been trying to find ways to work together. Um, but yeah, very nonlinear, um, kind of like this podcast. I mean, you know, you think about it one day, the kind of people you work together with may not be people that had a really clear path or a single way that you end up in it. You just, if you're lucky, you stay on the industry, you meet cool people and you get to do cool things with them. So, and speaking Agreed. of cool things, that's as much cool things as we have time for today. We've run out of time. We answered some questions about co-founders as always, Nick and Ash, thank you for being the co-founders of this podcast. Much appreciated. Thank you. No, 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 Sean. Thank you. (laughs) If you have questions about startup companies, building businesses, whatever it might be, we would love to hear from you. Our website is thestartuphelpdesk.com. On Twitter, X, whatever they're calling it, we're thestartuphd. All the questions we answer are submitted by people just like you. So please submit more questions. We can have more fun discussions like this. But for now, the Startup Help Desk is closed. Good luck in building your business.